For today I will be reading and preaching from the whole chapter of Acts chapter 14. And I thought I would ask you to sit um, for the the fact that it is a a longer passage to stand through, but also for somewhat of effect and maybe to make you all alert um, and more attentive for this particular reading of the word. I am going to ask you to stand up when I say stand upright on your feet. And um, hopefully it will have an impact upon your thinking as you see the witness of God in this particular narrative of the proclamation of God. Hear now the reading of the very word of God. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices or sacrifice to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. And entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith in saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, and they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this witness of your mighty and wondrous deeds, your mercy upon both Jews and Gentiles, upon the whole world, all of your creation, and upon these here in the hearing of your word, and upon us here in the hearing of your word. May it be, Father, that we would be transformed to faith even more, that your Holy Spirit would work in us this day, that our hearts would be strengthened to rest in you, that our minds may be brought to delight of your might, and that we would be encouraged by the hope of this good news, that you have come to save sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Appreciate you bearing through with me on all of that this day. I know I've kept you a bit on your toes and a little bit of a different flow than usual. Growing up in our home, our children have had a song that I don't know how we came across it. I think it was from some kind of video that um, I remember we'll probably have it on VHS. It probably can't even play it anymore, which is not necessarily a bad thing that our kids would um, listen to. And in that was a, um, I don't know if you would call her an artist or what you would call her, but Lamb Chop. Anybody ever heard of Lamb Chop? <laughs> so some of you may know where I'm going with this already, and I'm sorry. And in that particular uh, whatever presentation or uh, you know something to give the kids to watch so that maybe the mother could take a nap or something, um, there is a song in that video with lambs. <laughs> and I'm here. Yeah, I thought maybe if I read it with powerful inflection, it might have a different take on it today. <laughs> but I want to start out, and there's a, there's a reason for this, so hang with me. There's a song, and this is the lyrics. It says, this is the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was, and they'll continue singing it forever just because. This is the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it not knowing what it was, and they'll continue singing it forever just because. This is the song that never ends. I'm going to stop there <laughs> so that you all maybe have a moment of recovery. This particular passage today may not be 
reverent to say is like that in its fullness, but there is a repetition in chapter 14 that is very similar throughout the book of Acts and especially right after chapter 13. There is a pattern here that is continuous. You almost get confused sometimes when you're reading this particular chapter compared to another one where it's at in the whole narrative because the same thing continues to happen. Just like the verses in this song, it just keeps repeating. You have the apostles going and preaching the gospel. You have many people believing, but some people not believing. Those who do not believe, they conspire and they make alliances and they start persecuting. The apostles continue to preach with greater boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then these people want to kill them. (laughs) And then sometimes they will imprison them, or they will hurt them, or they will kill them like they did James, and they will continue. Often they will then, at that point, leave and go to another place, and the song keeps going on. They preach the gospel, some people believe, some people disbelieve, some people make alliances, some people try to kill them. Something happens. There's also healings going on. God bearing forth witness, affirming that this word is true. Some people die. Some people get released. It's the same thing over and over again. And I don't want you to get tired of it or want to cover your ears like you all were probably wanting to do just moments ago. We need to continue to listen to this particular song because unlike with Lamb Chop, this is from the Lamb of God and in it is power. It is the only power and it is the only word that saves. And so don't let it become mundane for you to hear these patterns, but let it draw you in deeper to understand that God is showing this pattern for us to show us and to be a witness to us Again, that this is the foundation of the church. This is the posture of how God desires his church to be built. And there are things for us, though not apostolic, in the sense of these are new revelations for us today that we are to continue in that pattern. But there are things that should be patterns of repetition for that never-ending song until the day of glory, that we should be those who are proclaiming the gospel. We should expect that some will believe. We should expect that some will not believe. We should expect persecution and rejection. We should expect to see fruits of God continuing to bear forth witness through the transformation of people's lives, of people being healed in a multitude of different ways, to see the fruits of people coming out of bondage into light. And then we should see at times that it's difficult and that there will be tribulations and there will be trials. And then God is using that again to bear forth a witness because he will want to again Bring forth. Some will pass away. Some will die. And they will be complete. And they will be brought to the Lord in his fullness. Some will continue on with that song. And it will never end until the day of glory. And it is a song that we want to sing. And it is a song that we should be singing. And we should be familiar with those particular lyrics. Because it is our calling as the church of Jesus Christ. I want to point out and highlight something inside of this particular chapter that is of a different focus 
Even though it's the same song, it is a different focus. There are some things being highlighted. Last week, what do you all remember was the primary focus that I was highlighting as we were going through the passage together? What was the dominating word that was repeated over and over again? The word. The word. See, I gave you a hint. I didn't want to make it difficult and drag it out too long. It was focused on the word being preached, on them hearing the word, on them proclaiming, them speaking, and people hearing and receiving. That was repeated. It was thematic throughout chapter 13 over and over again, highlighting the importance of the proclamation of God's word, highlighting the importance of the hearing and the receiving and showing us the contrast of those who reject the word. And for us to recognize not only in those who are unbelievers, but also in our times and moments of unbelief, how we too bear forth those same characteristics when we reject the word. Today, I want us to point out again a very similar thematic element of the distinction between those who receive the word and those who do not. And let it be for us not just an observational spectator um, view of pagan thinking that we don't like or that we may scoff at, but let it be that we would temporarily, though not to commit you to any kind of unbelief yourself, but to, to look at those characteristics and what might seem to be very foreign and different as there's people who are worshiping false gods, look at how they respond to the preaching of the word and then say, do we in the same way when God's word is being proclaimed to us, whether in the preaching of it or the teaching of it or the personal reading and private reading of it, or when you hear it being proclaimed through different books or different sermons or podcasts or whatever, do we respond with some of the similar characteristics of these people who are actually pagan? And worshiping false gods. And I think we do. I think I do carry on those same characteristics. And I think we should be forewarned that whenever we see somebody who is the villain, we should, at least temporarily, even though maybe not adopting to the full extreme, we should adopt that position temporarily, maybe play act in our mind, so that we may discover through God's word how we need to repent and change our approach to receiving God's word. Like I said, there in the first paragraph, it's a very similar account, that it's very repetitive. We'll come back to some of the things and highlight some of those things in that first paragraph when we show the contrast of how we should respond. But we'll quickly go into this scenario here where we are seeing how people responded wrongly to not just the preaching of the word, but God's witness and confirmation of what was going on here. Looking at verse 8, it said, Now in Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. I catch this. The first thing is, is he's listening to Paul speak the word of God. And Paul was looking at him intently. And we know that this has happened before. He has a special ability it might not have been in, in this particular case any different than any of us could notice. Maybe we just he could just see that this person was being a very affirmative. But it says here that he could see that this man had faith 
to be made well. He could see potentially maybe beyond that this guy was receiving the word by his affirmation. Maybe he was a good Baptist, unlike most of us here, and he was saying amen. <laughs> maybe he was responded audibly and was receiving it in that way. Maybe. Or maybe there was some kind of special appointment that the Lord allowed him in his apostolic position in office to be able to see that this man had faith. And alas, we see that initially the primary thing is, is that this man was listening and hearing and receiving God's word. And then at this moment, he tells the man to stand up on his feet. And we see prefaced in the first paragraph that when God allows these things, when he, it actually says when he grants these things, he is granting signs and wonders to be done by the apostles' hands so that it would bear witness to the word that is being preached. So we see that the special miraculous event of this man standing on his feet was not to be the primary attention, but it was to be a confirmation from God that the word being preached from Paul and the apostles was from him. It was a sign. It was a sign saying, listen to the word being preached. It is my word. The power that comes to heal this man is also inside of this word to heal you, to save you from your sin. And the reception of that was very immediately received positively, but negatively in the heart. They saw this sign to be the primary focus, and they immediately used what God was using for his glory. They used it for false worship. They attributed it immediately to false gods. In fact, they even called... Paul and Barnabas, these very gods, they gave them that name. They quickly reshaped this thing that God had granted them as a gift. They quickly reshaped it into their own idol and even reshaped Paul and Barnabas into an idol of their own purpose. And so they did have a positive reception, but they took this witness of God to serve their personal purposes. They even relabeled it very quickly. It immediately went amok in their heart and their mind. And Paul was tremendously, Paul and Barnabas were tremendously humbled, not in the way of like, oh, that's very kind of you to think of. It was like, no, (laughs) do not do that. Their humility was with tremendous passion. We are not gods. We are definitely not those gods. This is not to be attributed to them or even to us. So they approached it with tremendous humility and tried to point them back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we are here to bring you good news. What kind of good news? That you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Your gods are not real. They're not only are they dead, they're not even existent. And we're definitely not them. I am here to tell you to turn, to repent, and believe in the living and true and only God. And so they immediately go back to the gospel, just like the other verses repeating over and over again every time 
that they face an opposition or a derailing of the direction in which they are going, they just go back to the gospel and proclaim the very truth of God. And here, they thought they would help them out by saying, look at creation. Look at the witness of God in creation that's all around you. Think about what he has done, the testimony of who he is. He's always provided a witness unto himself, and we see this articulated even more thoroughly in Romans 1 and how all people are without excuse because of how God has even shown his holy attributes through his creation. So he's pointing them to look, to look at all the witness that is around that this God that we are speaking of is not your God. And this is the God that is here, manifested, shown, provided by Jesus Christ and his work. And it says, even after he pointed to all of these things, they just were not listening. They said that they could scarcely stop them from offering sacrifices to them. And this is telling here that here they assumed that Paul and Barnabas were their gods and their gods are saying, we're not your gods. Stop doing what you're doing. And I obviously not even listening to whoever they think is their gods because they're still providing sacrifices to them. I mean, that's pretty extreme stubbornness <laughs> to go to that degree to one had not been listening. The, the guy that had the lame feet, he was listening. And he believed what was said. It wasn't like they just showed up on the scene and did this miracle and then it was like, oh, this, these must be gods. He was already preaching the word of God to these people. They obviously didn't get it then. They get the witness of God to confirm what they're saying. And then they're saying, no, we are not the gods that you are worshiping. And they go, oh, here's my sacrifice. They're obviously not listening to Paul and Barnabas. So who are they listening to? Themselves. Who are they actually worshiping? Themselves. They even have false worship of their own false gods. I mean, it's a a pretty deep level of confusion. (laughs) And then, finally, after being stirred up by the Jews who followed him from Antioch, We've been chasing them around before, the same people who were causing them persecution before. They persuaded the crowds to go ahead and just reject Paul in full by attempting to murder him, to destroy it. I want us to look at those two different extremes here is that as the word was being proclaimed to them, as God bore forth witness and showed forth actual fruit of how this is so, that these pagans here, that they were so much consumed with themselves, they obviously weren't hearing the message that Paul was preaching. They obviously didn't believe it, but they didn't even really believe what they were saying that they were believing because they wouldn't even listen to to these people who they said were actually their gods. They were so caught up in themselves that they couldn't see straight and they couldn't hear straight. But on a dime, that once that use that they had for these people to massage and to be serving their purposes of idolatry was gone, 
or was they were convinced that they were going down the wrong trail with this, that this wasn't going to be a benefit to them to continue to treat them as gods, they decided to destroy them, to completely annihilate them. And it seems schizophrenic. Well, I want us to think about that. How do we, when we are presented by God, his truth or something concerning his truth, or we get to see a display of his might, that we get all excited and get all behind, and we're willing to even invest time and money to support a particular thing, an idea, or even a person. And we will invest a lot of energy in it because we ultimately see that there's good there, but we actually start wanting to reshape that good for our own purposes. Now, this takes a little bit of self-heart surgery to think about these particular things. It's easier to see it when we are dealing with people, friends, and how we use people. How we might meet someone and we might learn something about someone. We're like, oh, I really like this person. This person's really helpful. And I like, you know, I like how I feel with this person. And you become consumed. I know. One of the things that I remember experiencing as a teenager, and Jennifer and I not only recount our own stories, but try to teach our own children that this addiction to infatuation with the opposite sex early in our life and how it made us feel a certain way and we would become very involved in that, but then there would be these horrible breakups and it would be miserable and we wish they never existed. <laughs> and it's amazing how we have these different contrasts. I remember even my deceased father who told me that when he and his first wife divorced that, it, that he wanted to kill her, but it was like it would have been better if she never existed. The pain is so miserable. And it has to be in some indication of understanding of how we just get so called up in something for our own purposes, and then we reject them. I know a movie that is one of my favorites, The Quiz Show. I don't know if any of you all seen that from the 90s, but there was a guy in there named Herbie Stimple. And this was a, a show about how it was a, based on a true story of how media giants at that time, through game shows, they would make these people into great idols because it would bring great ratings and therefore great money through advertising. And they would just really make these people into big people. And then whenever the ratings started to shake, they would just completely destroy them and move on to something else. And Herbie Stemple, recognizing that, being one who was once idolized also in the same way, says, you know what the problem with you bums is? You never leave a guy alone unless you're leaving him alone. How do we do that with not only people, but also, also with concepts and with ministries? See, we, we take it into the church. We take it into the kingdom, and we look at things, and we look at people, and we get all excited about something. And when it loses its fervor or loses its excitement or maybe lose its effectiveness or maybe we actually run into sin and difficulty and trials and tribulations or opposition, we are just ready to be done. And move on to the next thing that will serve our purposes. You know, we are American Christians with a diversity of denominations and applications and podcasts and books. And we can take and get rid of. It's a buffet smorgasbord of all kinds of Christian ideas and we're all trying to find the thing that's going to fit. But when we have to get down to the brass tacks of actually dealing with sinners, that's usually when we eject. 
And we don't want to have anything. We want to quickly forget about those people or we want to label them and destroy their character in such a way that they are obviously the bad guys and I'm still the good guy, maybe the victim, and it's time to move on. I think we as Christians in the church, not pagans, not trying to say that we are pagans, but I think we often act like pagans by following this same model of idolatry. I would say that as we read the scriptures as a template for us to read in our hermeneutic of scripture is to quickly put ourselves in the position of the very strange idolater and say, how are we like that whenever we see that? Don't let the strangeness or you're like, you know, I don't bow down to metal images or wooden images. I don't really need to look at this as being associated with me. I would say, no, let that be a template for you to say, oh, it's time for me to perk up and listen because I'm an idolater. How am I being an idolater here in this situation? Let that sink in us and think about that and realize that we do this to God. We take his glory and we use them for our own purposes. We take God's people and we use them for our own purposes. And then often we are very quick to push them away whenever they're in a benefit to us. It means that we're not actually listening to what the call of the gospel is, what the call and the ministry is, is that we're making these things into idols when they are just people and concepts that have been delivered and given to us. Extraordinary opportunities for the ordinary to be vessels of God's good news and glory. And then when we get tired of those ordinary vessels, we go look for more and we toss those vessels aside like garbage. Let us look for those ways and repent of those ways and seek ways to actually listen to the gospel, to approach people with humility, to realize that we are all in this together as broken vessels being restored into vessels of God's glory. Here in this particular passage and in the past passage, we see God highlighting that he is being a witness through the church of his might. And I want to just highlight things for us to see, things that we'll take with us further in Acts. But one, he is a witness by his word and spirit, just like we were talking about in chapter 13. He is a witness by his word and his spirit. And that will continue to go on, and that is our calling, is to witness by the proclamation of the word, prayerfully hoping in the Spirit, resting in the Spirit, to bring forth a resurrection and restoration of people by the preaching of the word and the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see that God is a witness before his people and before the world by healing and resurrection. We see two accounts in this particular chapter where God is bearing forth his witness of what he desires his kingdom to look look like. By one, he is healing the lame man. He tells them to stand up. And you all did a good job standing up, by the way. Not perfectly in unison, but you did a good job. Showing forth that he has the power over the body, which is pointing to that he has the power over everything, including our souls and our sins. We see here with Paul 
how I left it off as I was reading, that they supposed him to be dead. It's a very short account, but it's a pretty dramatic thing. I kind of felt like we needed to, to have more there, but Luke decided to make it just a quick kind of thing. I mean, it went very fast. I mean, they were, in one minute, they're like, no, 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 don't treat us like a god. We're, we're not gods. You know, back down, back down. And they say, like, whoa, 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 you're killing us. Bam, he's down on the ground. And they're dragging him. I mean, you think about this, that he, they obviously did enough damage to Paul that they were touching him to drag him out of the city, and they left him for dead. They didn't see any life in him. It wasn't like he was like, oh, you hurt my arm. <laughs> he, was, he looked dead. He had taken a tremendous beating. And I don't know what's going on here, but the disciples are surrounding him. Again, Luke's not giving us a lot of detail. I mean, I mean you know, Jennifer said maybe it's kind of like after in a football game when somebody just gets plowed and all the team members are kind of like, ooh, and he looks rough. <laughs> I don't know. That might have been the simple element of it. They may have been gathering around Paul in prayer. They may have been saying, nope, God's not, gonna, God's not done with them. Or maybe they were just mourning and weeping, thinking that he was also dead. But the disciples were standing around him, and then he rises up. It doesn't give us a whole lot. He, just, he went from being presumed to be dead he gets up he enters the city the next day he went on with barnabas to derby and they preached the gospel this was a tremendous miracle i mean even at my age just getting up is a big challenge sometimes but to get up after being stoned and being left for dead and to get up and then you know he made it to the city but then the next day he's out preaching the gospel with barnabas again This was a witness from God of the testimony of God's power of healing and how, yes, with James a few chapters ago, there wasn't that resurrection for that moment. There will be the resurrection for all Jameses who trust in the Lord. And that's a good thing for a lot of us, right, James? (laughs) And here we have an account where God continued to want to use Paul as a witness and testimony of his power Then we go back and look at Paul's little mini-sermon while they were all given sacrifices to them. He points to the witness of creation. We want to look at all the things. We have the witness of God's word and spirit. We have the witness of healing and resurrection. We have the witness of creation. Again, Paul articulates this in Romans 1 for us to understand that everything that we see teaches us about him. It is a witness to who he is. He has not left us without a witness of who he is. He has not left us with an excuse to reject him. A witness of his goodness. Even in contrast of, the, of man, he says that you know, God had let them do their own thing. He let them move on and, and, and do stupid stuff. But he and his goodness is a provider. He gives good rain. He gives good fruit. God is a, a God of goodness in contrast to the man of sin. He is a witness of his goodness. He is also, as they see right before him, and as Paul gets up and preaches the gospel, he then turns back to the saints, and he says, this is what we have to endure. He is a witness of suffering. That through the suffering of his saints, he is a witness, because what does their suffering ultimately point to? It points them to Jesus Christ. And he is a witness to them by sustaining us exactly how we need. So he's a witness by word and spirit. He's a witness by the healing and resurrection. He's a witness by creation, goodness, 
suffering and sustaining. So to end, I want us to go through quickly here and just highlight what is the appropriate response when we hear God's word. In contrast to how we may, and we probably still will, take things that God has given us for our instruction and also as a witness for our encouragement and for our strengthening, we will take those particular things and we will make them into idols. We will get pumped up by them and we will continue to toss them aside. We will need to repent time and time again. Well, what is the appropriate response of the believers that we can learn from this particular passage and how they responded and were commended and encouraged as the glory of God and faithfulness? In verse 1, it says they spoke the truth of God in such a way that those believed. This teaches us that it does matter how we speak to people. That we do need to use wisdom. This is a tough thing for me as a pastor because I'm not really good, I think, at homiletics. And I know I really throw you all off sometimes. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm constantly convicted with, I've got to get this better. I've got to get better at communicating this. It is something that we need to make a discipline, that we need to speak to people, sometimes the truth, but in love and in a way that is winsome and it is clear and is appropriate to the context and the word at hand. That takes thoughtfulness. That takes love. That takes consideration. That takes tremendous amount of prayer that God would give us the right words to say at the right time because Even though it might be true, it's not always to be applied in every situation. And we also know that sometimes what we say can come back to bite us. Secondly, in verse 3 of chapter 14, after they received opposition, what did they do? They spoke with boldness. We need to be bold. Now that may seem like, well, we just want to be bold all the time. Well, we have to be humble too. And so we're like, wow, that's a lot of things to have to carry. We have to speak with boldness, and we have to speak with winsomeness, and we have to speak with humility. Yes is the answer to that. And we see here that in the face of opposition is that we are not to back down from opposition in cowardliness or fear of man, but in faithfulness and in fear of God, we are to continue on in boldness. It'll get a little bit more confusing here in just a moment. And it says in verse 3 and 6, it says to speak the good news. So always to go back to the gospel. Just look here how many times that it is. I keep coming back to the gospel. Don't ever remove your message, your ministry, your raising up your family, your dealing with your customers. Whatever you're doing, do not remove the gospel From that, always come back to the good news. When everything's starting to get kind of confusing, just go, how can I get back to the gospel here and how I approach this situation and how I speak in this situation? Don't become someone who is a self-help proclaimer. Don't try to just win them over by your wit and your ability or your ability to debate, but go back to the gospel for yourself and for them Go back to the gospel. In verse 6, it says that they eventually, they left. Once they realized they were coming to kill them, they're like, you know what, we're going to leave. So in a moment ago, whenever they faced opposition, they spoke thoroughly. They, kept, they stayed longer, and they were bold And when they preached. And then when they found out they were going to kill them, they're like, you know, maybe it's time to split. 
Jumpers wanted me to listen to this account of fleeing from Kabul. I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I'm looking forward to listening to it tonight. But I know from what I've heard in Afghanistan that there were Christians who were torn. Who was going to stay and who was going to leave? We've talked about this before in sermons, the, the different things that were going on there that were frightening. and It's like the men and women had to make decisions for their families, whether it's time to cut and run. And there were others who had to say, I must stay to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not always the identical answer, but that must be considered on a simple level for us, just in day-to-day conversations in dealing with people. Sometimes you answer a fool according to the fool, and sometimes you don't answer a fool. Or you'll end up being a fool too. That takes prayerful humility and discernment. To know when to just walk away. Here they walked away. In verse 10, be a testimony of healing. How's God done healing in your own life? How has God transformed you? When we see that Jesus says, What is it? Is it better to have the power of healing someone? unto life, or is it better to forgive sins? It's, it's really bringing all that together, and the answer again is kind of yes. I mean, it, we can say it's, it's the forgiving of sins, but God, is, he's got it all. He's, 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 he's got dominion over all of that. So yeah, you may have accounts where you, had a, you were hurt, or you were sick, or you maybe were diagnosed with something, and you lived, and you will want to tell those accounts, and that's good. We should tell those accounts. We should celebrate and praise God for that. But there are many of you that I would hope that, especially you seasoned Christians that have been walking with the Lord for some time, where you've seen God change your life. You need to proclaim that and give testimony to God and praise to God openly for your own encouragement. Because I know that when I counsel a lot of people, when Satan's got them in a corner, they go, I'm no good. Nothing good is in my life. I am bad. God must not love me. I must not be a part. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I see God doing so many things in your life. Go back to that. Give God the glory for that. Be encouraged and assured in that and proclaim that. Be a testimony to others in how God has healed you. Verse 15, humble acknowledgement of their own human condition. Paul comes out with Barnabas and says, we are just like you. We are not guys. They had the opportunity to go, oh, okay, we got their attention. Maybe we can use this respect that they have for us, and maybe we can, you know, let's this, this, this just hold off a little bit on telling them that we're not actually Hermes and we're actually not Zeus. And we'll maybe kind of, you know, use that respect and kind of maybe help them in that way as for, the, for the gospel, <laughs> for the kingdom. No, you need to be constantly presenting before whoever you are your humility. I've told you time and time again my own mistake whenever I have had challenges in my family that for the sake of wanting to continue to have their respect, I had to seem, un- I thought I had to seem unshakable to them and not show weakness so that they'll listen to me. He's the father. He knows what he's talking about. He's the husband. And so I kind of demanded that respect when really they, they go, <laughs> we know you're not as strong as you think you are. So I had to confess. I am weak. I am afraid. I am uncertain. 
But God, in his word, says we ought to come here. Let us come here together. And they hear that. These people weren't listening to them anyway. Verse 15 again. Point to creation. Point to the rebellion of man. Point to the goodness of God. Multiple conversations in Providence of the Lord lately, people have been talking about the challenge. Maybe it's because of our teaching on reprobation and maybe other verses and passages that's kind of trying to understand this sovereignty of God, but also his compassion and how he allows evil spirits to taunt Saul, but he hardens the heart of Pharaoh. It's like, how does this all work? Well, I think in many respects, we don't spend enough time focusing on his might and his glory just in creation. We don't spend enough time thinking about just where it goes to abandon God to go after the world because we're talking about sinners here. We're going to listen to them. We're going to listen to us and our rebellion, and we're going to trust our rebellion over God. And we don't talk about the goodness of God. We don't highlight. We don't, we're not in awe at just the beauty and the amazement of all of his creation and his creatures of people that he has put around us. Point them to the creation Verse 22, endure persecution and rejection. Continue on. Don't let it cower you and bring you into a corner and to give up. Understand that this is a part of it. Paul says, you must endure these tribulations to enter into the kingdom of God. As we are going further into the kingdom, this is a part of it. Be aware of that. Be looking for that. Ask God to help prepare you for that. Recognize it when you see it. Especially when you're tired. When I'm tired, I was tired yesterday. And I was typing texts to Jennifer as I was trying to get the order of worship together. I'm like, I am in a bad place. Everything is wrong. (laughs) This is when you need to realize that this is a part of it. This is a part of our calling. The opposition that you may face, the challenges, the rejection that you may receive. Continuing on, Paul gave them strength and encouraged them in the faith to continue in this faith. To continue, like he said in verse 13, to continue in this grace of God. To trust this grace through his word. To trust in his promises. He has promised that there will be times and trials of tribulation, but he has promised that it will endure and his kingdom will further on. Have that in front of you. Have the cross in front of you. Understand the nature of what Jesus did, and then he tells us to follow him, to bear our own crosses. Verse 23. This is not something that we kind of, well, all this kind of sounds normative, but then it gets really mundane. They are appointing elders. They're organizing as a church. They're creating congregations of people with leadership. We are to organize and function as a church. Your participation in considering Maurice as an elder this month is a part of that same calling that we might think is dynamic when we think about the spirit moving or the word being preached or missionaries being sent off and people coming to the Lord. Thinking about Maroos, talking to Maroos, questioning Maroos, praying for Maroos, praying for our, our congregation, praying for our future session is a part of this work when God is doing. He, here after all of this, he is gathering his people together and he is organizing them with shepherds and leaders to help encourage and strengthen and to equip 
for the furthering of ministry, participate in that. It's interesting, just as a quick side note, as we think about the Synod of Dort in the article that we talked about today, one of the things that can help can maybe help explain from the Westminster Divines perspective when they consider children being elect is because not because they think there's something special about the, the birthing process, but it's just trying to understand how God deals with people covenantally and trying to understand through his word that he has these ordinary means. Now, remember when I first heard the word ordinary, I thought it sounds kind of bland. <laughs> but God has ordinary means, and we're very thankful for ordinary means. Having a family is an ordinary means of how God accomplishes things. Having church is an ordinary means. And it says in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 25, it says that there is no salvation or no ordinary means of salvation outside of the church. Now, when I first read that, back in my 20s, coming from the Baptist church, coming into the Presbyterian church, I thought, that sounds Roman Catholic. You know why? Because the Roman Catholic church says that too. And I thought, wow, that's really, this is, what's, this like? what's this saying? You say we can't be saved outside of the church? It's like, no, let's go back to the word ordinary. <laughs> that God has ways that he has established and we know it. We live it all the time. We know that families is where, you know, we don't just like have kids and say, all right, go off. Have a good one, you know, right after they're born. We're like, no, they've got to be nurtured. They've got to be brought up. They've got to be taught. And they should be similar to us <laughs> to some degree, both good and bad. It's an ordinary way of how God operates. And so God ordinarily works through households. He ordinarily works through people. And so I think it's very helpful for us to understand that word ordinary. There are extraordinary. And some of you may have extraordinary stories of how you didn't grow up in a Christian environment. And you didn't grow up in a church. You may have been totally in left field somewhere, and then bam, the gospel came to you. Yes, that happens. That's extraordinary. But we see in God's word a pattern of ordinary means in which he teaches and nourishes and brings his people about. That is what the writers of the canon of Dort is saying is that this is something that we should anticipate that God is going to bring forth. And we see it in the book of Acts. Because early on in Acts it says this promise is for you and for your children. And the church is for you to participate in. Because that's how God has established. The whole book of Acts is about the foundations of the church. And how he is using the church, these ordinary means, these ordinary people, these vessels that are not yet full of glory and goodness to go about preaching about the one who is full of glory and goodness. Moving on, verse 23 again, prayer and fasting. There's this humility. We must continue to be in prayer and fasting, realizing that this is not our work. Just as chapter 13 ended with the word Holy Spirit, it wasn't highlighting that everything that was occurring there concerning the highlighting of the word can only come alive through the Holy Spirit, that through prayer and fasting, we are humbly coming before the Lord, that it's not an organization of the church. It's not our children that we bear forth or baptize. It's not even our adults that we baptize. It's not how we do our worship services that are going to bring about the transformation of people it's exactly what all of the confessions said it's going to be the holy spirit so we must call upon the lord in obedience that he would fill people full of the holy spirit verse 25 continue to speak the word 
Verse 27, tell people of the mighty ways of the Lord and the things that he's done and the great deeds that he has done. Verse 27, also look for open doors. Celebrate when you see those open doors. Lydia, when she was given the prayer request this morning of this man, that his, the challenge with his wife having cancer in stage three, he said, which is very dire. This is an open door, and we should pray for Lydia. We should pray for Stefan and, Stefan and also his wife, and that more than anything, that the door would be open for them to know and understand Jesus Christ. This should be on our minds continually to look for and to celebrate and to encourage one another by communicating. Is that a part of our conversations? Is it our approach when we're in a conversation with someone or when we happen to bump into a stranger? Do we think, is this an open door? Lord, are you opening a door here? And in verse 28, spend time with each other. It says that, I love the wording here, it says, and they remained no little time with the disciples. God has drawn his church and his people together that they would spend time with each other. You know, it's often that it is known that people come to church and they want to hear a message and they want to be inspired by the music. And that's why it was so easy during the pandemic for people to just stay home. Because it wasn't really the people. They wanted to get a message that would encourage them. They wanted to get some music that would give them some inspiration. So they weren't really missing much. So a lot of people have stayed home. They spent time together. We are called to assemble. The church is an assembly of his people. God tells us to spend time with each other. And they spent time with the disciples. Because this was a part of them responding faithfully to the proclamation of the word and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Paul defined the gospel to these pagans. And he's defining it for us. He says, I'm here to give you good news. You can turn from these vain things and you can come to a living God. We are to look at these things and be convicted by these things. But it doesn't end there. It is that we have a living God. We have a true God who forgives us and who will continue to forgive us and further us in faithfulness. He is the creator. He is the one who is the gracious good. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. When Jesus came, the first word that came out of his mouth was repent. That's why Paul keeps coming back to the gospel. Believe in these things. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the kingdom of heaven. Follow me, like he told Peter after asking, do you love me? Ask yourself, do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you must follow him. You must obey him. You must obey him by listening to his command to repent and to believe and to be with his people, but to rest in his work, to rest in his gospel. And then just as we end this service here, he is a friend for sinners. He says, come and eat. He doesn't just say, this gets weird. He doesn't just say, come and eat with me. He says, come and eat of me. Take on me. Sustain yourself through me, through Jesus Christ, in his word, in his command, which is why we do this today, is that he wants us to come to him and feast with him and celebrate that he is a living God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for 
through this admonishment and this encouragement. May it be that we respond faithfully and be a witness to your goodness and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.